We need brain in this country to turn it around. Brain. Clowns and Jokers Beware from Pacifica Radios, KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, on the iTunes on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and five days a week on Radio Sputnik. You can run, but you can't hide. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me, if not you. I leave it to you. I don't know. From bradblog.com. Wow. Wow. Glad you could join us. Uh, it was a huge, huge night last night. Uh, the whole country, of course, was watching. Everybody is talking about it today. It was the moment the nation had been waiting for with tremendous anticipation for months and months. But enough about John Stewart's final daily show. Uh, we want to talk about the GOP presidential debate on Fox News. How'd that go? We will uh, talk about uh, all of that in a moment with our guests Heather Digby Parton and Paul Rosenberg, as well as uh, Desi Doyen, who joins us here. Oh, hey, Des, we might as well say hey now. Oh, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> There's Desi Doyen, our producer and my co-host on the Green News Report, whose report will be heard later in this show, running a little bit late this week because it was such a huge week. Uh, with the debates and with the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act taking place on the very same day, oh yeah, as the first Republican convention, uh, first Republican debate, uh, and uh, oh, curiously, they didn't mention a word about voting rights. What I know. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, we will have our uh, Green News report a little bit later in this broadcast. We weren't able to play it yesterday because we had our 50th anniversary. Voting Rights Act special on the broadcast, and if you didn't hear it, I'm going to recommend that you do, that you run as soon as this program is over. Run on over to bradblog.com or over to iTunes and download it, because uh, it's really important and cool and obviously uh, completely lost in the uh, in the, the noise and sturm and drong of the uh, Republican debate, but we, we took a look back. We went back to Selma. Uh, with the uh, with the historian of the uh, of Selma's voting rights uh, voting rights museum national voting rights museum at the foot of the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Anyway, it's a cool show, and we look forward uh, to the legal battles that are ongoing right now concerning the Voting Rights Act and a big legal victory this week in Texas, where the photo ID restriction law was struck down by the conservative. Fifth uh, Circuit Appellate Court. So that's some good news. In any event, uh, because of all of that, the Green News Report will come later today as another GOP candidate snuck into the contest 
over the past week with almost nobody noticing, but we did, finally. We will detail his climate position, as we have with all of the candidates so far this year, both Democratic and Republicans, as they've entered the race over the past several months. Uh, Also, uh, predictable pushback from the usual, usual fossil fuel suspects and their puppets in elected office against Obama's landmark EPA rules to cut emissions across the country. And by the way, as required by law and the Supreme Court. So that will be in our Green News report coming up a little bit later. Uh, in the meantime, last night in Cleveland at the Quicken Loans Arena. There's some irony there that I I can't, I'm not smart enough to understand, but it was at the Quicken Loans Arena, a basketball arena. Fox News held the first 2016 presidential debate for their Republican Party colleagues. And uh, it seems to me, at least, that Fox has perfected politics now as sports, as ESPN for politics, uh, or at least their version of politics. So last night's debate at this arena, it seemed somehow perversely appropriate being held in a basketball arena. I don't know why they uh, though they had, you know, had they had they set up a a pro wrestling ring on the stage, I think that might have been even more appropriate still. We had the baby debate, the kitty table debate at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time uh, in an empty stadium with the uh, candidates who didn't come into the top 10 in Fox News's randomly chosen uh, uh, national polls. So at the kitty table, you had Rick Santorum, senator of uh, Pen- former senator from Pennsylvania, Lindsey Graham, current senator from South Carolina, Carly Fiorina, failed businesswoman who uh, people on the Republican side seem to like for some odd reason, former governor of New York, George Pataki, former governor of where? Virginia, Jim Gilmore, uh, current governor of Louisiana, Bobby Jindal, and former governor of Texas and currently indicted indicted felon or indicted for felony governor rick perry of texas they were on the kitty table and the others there were so many i'm not even going to bother to name them we'll get to them you know who they are at this point um it was a packed house it was a rowdy house who acted as if they were by the way at a pro wrestling match uh and it worked for fox news and their ratings in any case according to nielsen today the primetime debate on thursday garnered 24 million viewers Yes, you heard me right. It was the largest audience ever for a primary election debate for some odd reason. So I guess we got to cover it. 17 candidates, more than a year and a half out from the 2016 general election, more than six months before the first votes will be cast in Iowa and New Hampshire. In truth, I have no idea how to cover any of this. Uh, As it's unclear, frankly, how much, if any of it, actually matters as the wealthy millionaires and billionaires will sort out their support for the candidates. So frankly, I needed way smarter people than me to help me understand what's going on and what we're all to make of this uh, psychedelic Fox News pageantry, uh, which, as it seems to me, has uh, almost zero to do with substance and policies and everything to do with style and politics. So to that end... Happy to welcome, for the first time to the show, uh, Paul Rosenberg, a California-based writer, activist, senior editor for Random Lengths News, where he's worked since 2002. He's also a contributor for Salon.com and previously a columnist for Al Jazeera English. Paul Rosenberg, sir, welcome to the broadcast. 
Hi, thanks. Really delight, <laughs> delighted to have you here. Have been trying to come up with an excuse to do it for a long time. So this is it. Uh, also joining us is uh, our old friend Heather Digby Parton, also known as Digby, from Digby's Hullabaloo blog. She is a contributing writer to Salon as well and the 2014 recipient of the Sydney Hillman Foundation's Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Uh, oh, hey, Heather. Welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, so good to have you both here. Okay, a point of personal privilege before we get into the debate proper, Heather. Uh, last time I had you on the show, it what you may remember, it was the day that Donald Trump announced he was getting into the race. <laughs> and at that time, everyone, everyone, it seemed to me, thought it was a complete joke, thought he was a joke, thought it was a ridiculous. Uh, you and I talked about the fact that this is going to be a serious problem for the Republican Party, that this guy represents 30 years of Republican id and zeitgeist, and he is going to be it. And I don't know if you got responses after after that show. I got a lot of them. People scoffed. They laughed yep. at me. Did you get that same response? Absolutely. Everybody <laughs> said I was a complete idiot. I had no idea what I was talking about, that, you know, Donald Trump was a joke. And by the way, they've been saying that, you know, on a weekly basis— <laughs> <laughs> they've been, yes. they've been, you know, I mean, everyone, and, and even last night they did the same thing. They, when, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, everybody said, I'm thinking specifically of Charles Krauthammer, who really loathes Donald, the poor Charles, he's just really, <laughs> really upset over all this. Yes. And, he, you know, when the, when the McCain gaffe happened, I mean, for those who, who are unaware, and I can't imagine anyone is, mm -hmm. but just to recap, briefly, you know, he had claimed that McCain wasn't a war hero, and everyone assumed, okay, that's it. That's, you know, right. Trump is done. He right. rose in the polls by, you know, another five points the next day. So, you know, over and over and over again, people have been saying that Trump just simply, you know, he's going to flame out, he's not serious, it's a joke, and any of you who think that he is actually going to have an impact, you're completely full of it. Well, you know, here we are. Yeah. Well, here we are. He, he's, you know, skyrocketed in the polls pretty much almost immediately. And you're right. Uh, you know, day after day, they kept coming up with new reasons, new excuses why he wasn't a serious candidate. I think it to me, it underscores, frankly, a lot of what uh, we've been reporting for years about how the mainstream corporate media simply does not understand what has happened to the Republican Party, how far this party has gone off the rails to become a no longer serious party or whatever it is that Trump now represents. Um, and and I think they still don't really understand it. Uh, Paul Rosenberg, uh, you weren't here on that fateful day uh, when uh, I think Digby and I called it, nailed it. Uh, but uh, where are you in, in a general sense on uh, Donald Trump? Had, had you been underestimating him? Are you surprised by his rise? Uh, what's your um, thoughts? Not, not too much. I mean, I, I would have agreed with you um, if I had been uh, at the time, uh, you know, that he was a lot more serious than people realized. But, of course, how he's, how he's prospered since then is in part uh, a reflection of how other people have responded to him. Mm -hmm. it, I don't think it was foreordained that he was going to do this well. I think that the scoffing helped fuel it. I think if people had taken him more seriously from the beginning, he might not have done as well. <laughs> I think he'd still be doing well, but maybe, you know, he may, got a, may have gotten a little extra oomph 
from the contempt that he drew from people because that's a very integral part of his appeal is, uh, you know, projecting back the contempt that's, uh, that's heaped on him, which is, you know, what the people that he, his supporters really like him. Uh, yeah, he feeds on it. Uh, that your your loathing only makes me stronger. Seems to me uh, how how uh, Donald Trump works. And uh, to that end, let's jump into this debate at this point uh, from last night. And uh, as I said, there was there was obviously there was the the baby debate, the kitty debate, where Fox randomly you know selected seven who weren't going to be on the primetime debate and there was the main one and we'll try to we'll try to go to both because i'm uh, frankly appalled by their the, the way they you know you had this uh, packed primetime uh, uh, debate at night uh, for the top 10 candidates that they chose from national polls which are absolutely meaningless and then you had these other uh, candidates who were just absolutely buried they didn't even allow an audience for them it seemed to me it was an empty stadium they played to in any event let's start with the primetime debate and uh, the first question uh, out of the box concerning uh, and it was obviously this was aimed at trump uh, and frankly, much of the debate was all about Trump, it seems to me, but uh, aimed at Trump to try to uh, call him out for his unwillingness to say he would not run as an independent candidate. Brett Baer, Fox News anchor, asked the candidates to pledge uh, that they would not mount a third party challenge. And Trump refused. And this is what happened. Is there anyone on stage? And can I see hands who is unwilling tonight to pledge your support to the eventual nominee of the Republican Party and pledge to not run an independent campaign against that person. Again, we're looking for you to raise your hand now. Raise your hand now if you won't make that pledge tonight. Mr. Trump. So, Mr. Trump, to be clear, you're standing on a Republican primary debate. I fully stage. understand. I cannot say I have to respect the person that, if it's not me, the person that wins. I can totally make that pledge. If I'm the nominee, I will pledge I will <laughs> not run as an independent. This okay. is what's wrong. He buys and sells politicians of all stripes. He's already, hey, look, look, he's, he's already hedging his bets because he's used to buying politicians. Well, I've given so just, him plenty of money. You're not going to make the pledge. Tonight. I will not make the pledge at this time. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's what... <laughs> so, so that was a, a bit of a mashup of that uh, Donald Trump responding to that question. Rand Paul jumping in and accusing him immediately of buying and selling candidates. Um, Heather Digby Parton, what wh what do you make of that right off the bat? Uh, they're screaming and yelling and and booing for him at the same time. Well, let, let me just you know just say this. I, I that question. I mean, it it was clear to me from the very beginning, and in fact, going back to the baby debate, that Roger Ailes had decided to try and um, narrow. <laughs> the field mm -hmm. uh, through his, the the questions that they chose the way they staged it the baby debate had no audience that makes a huge difference in how a debate <laughs> debate is perceived at home as you can see you know when there's a full audience there you get this reaction and and that's a much more lively form of television so the baby debate was kind of a sad affair they they were all their zingers just 
fell flat. You know, nothing, nothing really worked for them. And that's because Ailes was really trying to winnow that field. I think he wanted to make those people kind of disappear. And gave, you know, people are saying, well, what, what happened? Ailes is such a great TV guy. How come he didn't anticipate this? I'm going, yeah, well, he did. Um, and then, then the Trump question, which this happened, you know, throughout the debate, um, it was very clearly aimed at, at, you know, trying to smoke out uh, Donald Trump's inappropriateness, I think, as, as the presidential candidate. And I'm not sure it worked at all. I mean, I think, I think they were doing their best, mm-hmm. um, but I don't, th- I don't think that it worked. And it's just, it, it goes back to what, what Paul said. You know, part of Trump's appeal is this idea that he is the enemy of the establishment, Democrats mm-hmm. and Republicans, everybody alike. So when they did that, and in such what I think was pretty obvious fashion, and from the Twitter feeds of conservatives, it was pretty clear they thought so, too. I mean, there was no fooling them that Fox was putting its thumb on the scale. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, I, I, I don't know that that worked. I mean, we don't know what the polling is yet. We'll see it in the next couple of days on, on whether Trump... Um, survived, whether or not he actually succeeded, or whether or not this is the beginning, you know, the deflation of the Trump balloon. We'll see what happens. But clearly, you know, from the audience reaction, they were looking for that kind of a fight. um, And what they saw there between Rand Paul and Trump was exactly what they were kind of hoping for. Unfortunately for them and for the rest of us, that was kind of the highlight. I mean, there was a little skirmish between Rand Paul and Chris Christie, who was trying to beat Trump, but, you know, he just really doesn't have it. Um, I, I, you know, yeah. they, that, that was about it. I mean, there wasn't any more. The rest of it was just boilerplate Fox. Well, there were a few. Here's uh, Donald Trump uh, shortly thereafter. I mean, uh, uh, most of the action seems like it did take place right near the top of this debate. Uh, here's uh, Donald Trump uh, responding to uh, Fox Fox's Megan Kelly, who challenged Trump over some right. of his comments about women. One of the things people love about you is you speak your mind and you don't use a politician's filter. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account Only Rosie several- O'Donnell. Crushed no, it. it. He crushed it. <laughs> Thank you. For the record... It was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell. Yes, I'm sure it was. Your Twitter. I think the big problem this country has is being politically correct. I've been. Ch- I don't frankly have time for total political correctness. And to be honest with you, this country doesn't have time either. And frankly, what I say, and oftentimes it's fun, it's kidding, we have a good time. What I say is what I say. And honestly, Megan, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I've been very nice to you, although I could probably maybe not be based on the way you have treated me, but I wouldn't do that. Uh, that's, uh, Paul Rosenberg uh, has uh, Donald Trump. Uh, it seems to me with an answer like that, I mean, he immediately pulled the chair out from under Megan Kelly when he made the joke about Rosie O'Donnell. And then when he said, you know what? Uh, I, I don't the country's problem is political correctness. I think he has made himself immune from pretty much anything from here on out. He can say anything he wants because, yay, it's uh, going up against political correctness. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's he's absorbed all of the uh, 
you know, all the right-wing tropes of the past 30 years and, and totally made them his own. I mean, he's, he's ingested them, uh, digested them, uh, you know, regurgitated them, uh, you know, played with them, uh, shaped them into figurines and, you know, just, you know, endlessly fascinated himself with them and uh, invited people to play along with them. And people are happy to do so because, you know, he is uh, their ideal. He is a super wealthy person who is just one of us. I think he... I think he has cracked the code on how to run as a Republican. I, I really do. I think yeah. he is a better Republican than all of the other Republicans as far as how to be a Republican, how to say bombastic stuff, how to punch everybody uh, when you're asked for specifics, just distract to something else, walk away and declare victory. That's how you run in the modern Republican Party, and it seems to me that Donald Trump has perfected that. Oh, you know, and, and I just wanted to add one thing, and I want to ask uh, Heather about this, too. You know, when I saw that exchange with Megyn Kelly, at the same time throughout Twitter, on my Twitter feed, I was seeing all these women saying, yeah, Megyn, you go get him. You call him out on his misogyny. And I didn't really care, you know, and I do care about, you know, misogyny and all that. But I didn't really think that Trump was, you know, doing anything other than being a bombastic idiot. Um, Heather, what did you think? Did you have any, do you take offense to, to Trump's, you know, usual bloviating? Did you find it to be, yay, go, Megan? <laughs> well, A, yes, his, his misogyny is offensive. You know, I mean, yeah, it is. Uh, B, no, Megyn Kelly may be the last person on earth to be making that case. She works on Fox News. True. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, this is one of the selling points on Fox News, that, you know, they, they sell misogyny. I mean, if you watch Fox and Friends or any of the shows, you know, every once in a while she'll come out and say something that, you know, has some kind of feminist, uh, you know, content to it. But for the most part, this is their bread and butter. They have created this world, and Donald Trump is just living in it. And so to have Fox News, you know, pull this, you know, I'm so shocked at Donald Trump's terrible uh, impolitic language towards women. Is, How dare he? It's absurd. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and, and you know, this is, uh, it, this again goes back to what I think was, was a very deliberate um, attempt on the part of Roger Ailes, and it was definitely him who orchestrated this, to try and put Trump in a bad position. It's a rare uh, misstep on the part of Ailes. It's a rare misunderstanding of something. I mean, Ailes is, is a guy, for whatever his politics are, he is brilliant and genius mm-hmm. television guy. There's no doubt about it that this guy gets TV. Now, he did get huge ratings last night, so, mm-hmm. you know, and he, I'm sure he sold those ads on those, uh, you know, during that debate for very, very high dollars. Yeah, how did he get um, it wrong? It seems like he, he hit it out of the park, Heather. Well, because I think that, you know, having... Donald, you know, I think they were attempting, I mean, I really felt strongly, they were attempting to trap Trump, Mm -hmm. and it didn't work. That part didn't work. It made great TV, and on Mm -hmm. that, in that, in that sense, it was, it was good, but he certainly, uh, I think he failed in in a political sense to do what he wants. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he wants the, you know, how many debates are they going to have? Nine? Uh, you know, maybe he yeah. he's going to make a lot of money uh, having these Trump debates. I mean, this this circus is is going to be a uh, a very successful run for Fox. But uh, my gosh, you know, I don't know. What, what uh, the oh, and I got to get to a, a break here shortly, and I promise we will move on to some uh, stuff that isn't Trump. 
probably, <laughs> maybe. But uh, before I get to this break, the, uh, the, the what surprised me actually, I you know I, I saw all of this as a, he you know he was immune to it. He just everything bounced off him. And then after the debate, they had this weird focus group. Did you guys see this with Frank uh-huh. Luntz? Yeah. Um, it's not weird. It's the normal Frank Luntz focus group that runs on Fox afterwards. But what was weird about it was. Uh, I was expecting all of the, uh, the the people there to say uh, Trump was great. Trump's our man. And instead, Luntz had everyone essentially there uh, saying, oh, I was a supporter of Trump before, but now I'm not anymore. They called him mean, bombastic. Uh, he was described as a letdown. It seemed to me like that group was really rigged. Uh, and, and Trump has said as much today on, on Twitter. He said, uh, your focus group is a total joke. Don't come to my office looking for business again. You are a clown. Uh, I won every poll of the debate tonight by massive margins. So where did you find that dumb panel? Uh, so he just, he killed, Frank Luntz is a low-class slob who came to my office looking for consulting work, and I had no zero interest, and now he picks an anti-Trump panel. It was awesome. Um, so, uh, Paul Rosenberg, uh, is there any reason to bel- to take anything from that Frank Luntz panel, or was that part of the, the sort of rig uh, by Roger Ailes that uh, Heather is referring to? I think it very likely is, and yeah, I mean, uh it's really hard to see how that can be significant. Uh, you know, a, a group like that is significant when it resonates with other things that are out there. When it stands at variance to them, uh, it doesn't have that much credibility. And when you can see an obvious reason why it would not resonate, it has even less. I think um, I'll take exception to you, Paul, on this point. I think it has uh, what has resonance is what Fox viewers see on Fox News. And what they saw on Fox News was other Fox viewers saying, oh, I'm kind of disappointed in Trump. I think I don't like him anymore. And I think uh, they are uh, trained at this point on uh, Fox viewers are trained at this point to accept whatever they hear coming out of the Fox News machine in their living room. And uh, I don't know. I think it could have an effect. I guess we have to wait for the polls to find out uh, for whatever well, those yeah, polls Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got a point there. But uh, I guess in the back of my mind, what I'm really thinking about is this is a very long process. Mm-hmm. And even if they had successfully shut Trump up, if, if uh, Ailes had, quote, succeeded in the terms that you were laying out earlier, that itself might have been a failure because it might have been enough to convince Trump uh, to pick up his models and go out and, and run as an independent. Mm. It might have, made, it might have uh, made that decision for him much easier, and he might have made it much earlier, and that might have made it much harder uh, for, for everyone. So it's just, you know, I think it's far too early to, to say what any of this ultimately means, because uh, one thing that we know is that this is not going to play out in anything like a, quote, normal way. <laughs> right. What's happening now is uh, something that we haven't seen before, and we don't really know what all the variables are and where all the uh, you know sheets and ladders are. Yeah, it, we have never seen anything like this. This is unprecedented. Anybody who tells you they know what is going to happen is completely lying. They are completely making it up, particularly from the corporate mainstream media, because they've been wrong on this from the jump. 
in any case, uh, we got to take a quick break and we'll come back with more with Paul Rosenberg and Heather Digby Parton. More irresponsible speculation straight ahead. And we will be uh, irresponsibly speculating on some people in last night's debate who weren't named Donald Trump. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Crazy Train, otherwise known as the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com, talking about the uh, the big debate on Thursday night. Both big debates on Fox News, uh, Republican Party baby kitty table debate, and the main debate. Uh, speaking with Paul Rosenberg of Random Lengths News and Salon, and Heather Digby Parton of uh, Digby's Hullabaloo, and also of Salon. Um, Paul Rosenberg, is it fair for me to uh, play the music uh, Crazy Train when we're talking about the GOP debate? Here we are, completely fair but totally unbalanced, uh, as as uh, three, four progressives, Desi Doyne's uh, here with me. We're talking about a Republican debate. Uh, is it appropriate to call them uh, crazy, or is this just a political disagreement? We just disagree with them uh Politically, so are they are they wrong or are they crazy? I guess is the question. Well, you know, the, I guess one of the you know I I do a fair amount of uh, reading and interviewing with uh, political psychologists, and you know their consensus sort of is that uh, you know they're not pathological; they're within the normal range of human variation. But I think <laughs> what happens is when you get them. Uh, all together in a very specialized uh, uh, location, uh, whether physical or, you know, media or whatever, uh, they interact with one another and they create very special conditions. And I, I think they become crazy. Mm. I think if you pull them out of that and put them into a more normal situation, like, uh, you know, in family and friends and take them out of a political realm, uh, they may come down uh, into being more normal, but uh, you put them in that kind of context, and yeah, I think it's fair to call it crazy. D- uh, a Digby, Heather, uh, uh, crazy or wrong, <laughs> or both? Both. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, you know, we've known they were wrong for 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 mm-hmm. you know many many decades, and this really is an at least on an ideological level. 
this is the culmination of, you know, 30, 40 years of hardcore ideological indoctrination. You know, you go back, we can do the whole history thing, you know, Powell memo back in the 70s, the Goldwater campaign. I mean, it's all there, and Mm -hmm. it all played out exactly, well, perhaps not exactly, but pretty much along the lines that they laid it out. And so this is is where they've ended up, and they ended up here um, by design. It's not, this isn't an accident. Uh, Trump may be sort of an accident. I don't know that they could have anticipated a reality TV star, although, you know, maybe Ailes did. He's pretty visionary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, well. uh, you know, they couldn't have, uh, this, is where they, this is where they've ended up, um, and it looks crazy to me, and I think most people would say that exactly what Paul said, that, that within the context of the political world, what we saw last night was crazy. And a lot of it, not just Trump, he's just, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, ringmaster of the whole thing. Uh, of the whole circus that they had last night. But if you listen to what all the rest of them were saying, it was absolutely nuts. I mean, the baby debate spent all of its time talking, literally saying that the day they get into office, they are going to start World War III. Well, and, th- uh, and they did. And let's let's get into some of that, because, uh, you know, I think, by the way, it, it sure looks crazy, but I think it's the new normal. I really do, because I, I don't think it's actually a question of being crazy or wrong. I think it, it, so. And I set up that question. I'm sorry. But I think that it's about uh, being uh, misinformed and disinformed for so long. I mean, they're. I'm sure they're fine, normal people, but they have been uh, so disinformed, so lied to for so many years that the result was when I was watching the uh, kiddie table debate, they all seemed furious. The candidates all seemed absolutely furious and couldn't keep their stories straight. To that end, um, for example, and I don't think we have this uh, on audio, so I'll just read you this clip. Uh, You pulled this out, Heather, in your article today at Salon. Uh, fear and loathing at the GOP debates. Behold the autocratic, xenophobic, war-hungry spectacle of the modern Republican Party. Uh, Bobby Jindal said, quote, Planned Parenthood better hope that Hillary Clinton wins this election because I guarantee you that under President Jindal, January 2017, the Department of Justice and the IRS and everybody else that we can send from the federal government will be going in to Planned Parenthood. And he got a huge round of applause and everything else. Um, Heather, isn't that exactly what the Republicans have been told to be angry about for the past several years? (laughs) Executive action, sicking the IRS on political opponents? Um, well, yeah, uh, but I think I think it's pretty clear that that's a sort of a situational thing, depending on who's doing it. <laughs> I mean, but, well, it astonished me because simply because this was a Fox debate, and Fox has spent hours and hours, days, months, years mm-hmm. flogging this, uh, you know, pseudo IRS scandal, mm-hmm. where the IRS was <laughs> allegedly used to, for political purposes to, you know, take down the mm-hmm. the, the Tea Parties. And here we have a presidential candidate, a sitting governor, saying that the first thing he's going to do is use the IRS for political purposes, damn it. And he was going to do it on the first day in office. He doubled down on it. He said the IRS, the DOJ, and then after, after the debate, he told them he was going to use the, the, uh, the EPA and OSHA, too. I guess he's going to go in and examine the, you know, the, 
<laughs> the it's chairs good. and the and the tables they use in, in Planned Parenthood. <laughs> I mean, this is this is an unbelievable thing. I mean, what he said, just straight up, mm-hmm. is completely illegal. It is it is one of the things that Richard Nixon was impeached over, <laughs> and here we have. Them, him saying it, nobody said a word. I didn't notice even a, a slight gasp yep. among any of the candidates. Certainly, the two moderators, which were the you know the, they had Barbie and Ken up there. I, I don't know. They 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 were less. They had less gravitas. Let's put it that way than the, than the people at the at the grown up debate later. Uh, and that's saying something. Since yes, they we're also had about Megan Kelly. Yes, um, they had baby but, moderators at the baby. Uh, exactly. The, the, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, this this really astonished me. I mean, I, and of course, Bobby Jindal, I mean, he made quite a quite a splash at the baby debate. I think he made it quite clear that he was going to run for, you know, basically he was not running for president. He was running for Generalissimo or Fuhrer or something. <laughs> I mean, he was unbelievably um, authoritarian, right wing, um, you know, fascist i mean to be perfectly honest i mean i hate to throw around the f word but you know it's it, it, uh, no, it fits. he he really was and i mean they they all were particularly in that earlier debate uh the anger and i don't know if they had to gin up uh some of that because there was no audience uh to speak of in this in the arena for that earlier debate uh but they all seemed absolutely furious um speaking of uh fascism let me go to ted cruz here for a second <laughs> Um, Paul, Paul Rosenberg, uh, I want to ask you about this. Uh, and I don't know if this was a slip. Uh, well, it's kind of astonishing. Uh, this was uh, Ted Cruz talking about Iran. We need a new commander in chief that will stand up to our enemies and that will have credibility. It is worth emphasizing that Iran released our hostages in 1981 the day Ronald Reagan was sworn into office. Okay, I'll bite. Uh, you had, Paul, some thoughts on that. Well, I just thought there's so much there. <laughs> At one level, he's got this imaginary vision in which all that Ronald Reagan has to do is take office and run crumbles. That's obviously what he's thinking mm-hmm. this symbolizes, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. know, that all... all that Ron ha- Ronald Reagan has to do is just show up and 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 everything is solved. But actually, I mean, the opposite is would appear to be the case. I remember when that happened, and I said, "My God, is this you know, is this rotten? You know, obviously something's going on here." And you know, years later, we get all this information about the October surprise and. Uh, uh, you know, for a long time, it's just rumors, and then uh, in the late 90s, Robert Perry, uh, you know, unearths all this stuff about this memo from uh, Russian intelligence that backs up the story, and that, you know, it actually is, is uh, very well supported that uh, the Reagan campaign did indeed strike a deal with Iran to hold on to the hostages until after the election so that, uh, you know, so, so that Carter would not get reelected. And the thing is that that was not a really a surprise, given how incongruous uh, that you know that event was. But that dissonance is just completely foreign to the Fox worldview. I mean, nobody—I I don't think anybody watching it in their target audience would be the least, least bit disturbed by it. But it's precisely that 
you know, lack of reality uh, that I think epitomizes uh, what Ted Cruz is. As we were watching... Yeah, as we were watching uh, the debate last night, Desi Doyen, you saw that moment and you said, hey, wait a minute. Didn't Reagan Reagan negotiate with Iran to release those hostages? Obviously, secretly and illegally, we found out later. But here are all of these candidates saying, I'm going to tear up this deal. You don't negotiate with Iran. But that's exactly what Reagan was doing. Yeah, he did worse than that. He sold... uh, sold he sold arms to Iran. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, this is the part that I couldn't believe. It's, you know, of yes. course, you know, this whole thing that happened around, you know, I, I think those of us who are old enough to remember, and I am unfortunately one of them, <laughs> that day on the inauguration is, mm-hmm. you know, Jimmy Carter flying, and we see the hostages being released, and it's kind of, oh, my God. You know, this was sort of, they were, they were promoting the madman theory, really, which was that, you know, look, they're so scared of the crazy Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. that look, look what's happening. But, I mean, come on. It was only a few short years later that he was revealed while in office. It, it happened while Reagan was still in office that we found out that he'd actually secretly sold missiles yeah. to Iran, our greatest enemy. And yet, somehow or another, you know, just like what Paul was saying, this, here we, you know, this, this is a reality that just doesn't exist. Ronald Reagan was a, you know, was a tremendous, you know, world leader. He was Alexander the Great of his time, who just by his, his presence alone was able to bring world peace and bring the Soviet Union to its knees and, you know, and, and uh, you know, and, and yeah. push Iran back into the shadows. I mean, it's just, it's insane. But this is what they believe, and they spend a lot of time and a lot of money making sure these people, this is what they hear all Convincing the themselves of that disinformation. Uh, it's, it's Speaking of uh, which, uh, here's Scott Walker talking about the Iran deal. Oh. And uh, it's okay, Paul. It's okay. Take a breath. I heard you. I heard you. Scott Walker talking about the Iran deal. What what he would say, what he would do, I guess, on, on, on day, what President Walker would do on day one for that deal. Iran is not a place we should be doing business with. To me, you terminate the deal on day one. You reinstate the sanctions authorized by Congress. You go to Congress and put in place even more crippling sanctions in place. And then you convince our allies to do the same. It's yet another example of the failed foreign policy of the Obama-Clinton doctor. <laughs> okay, which of you two wants at that? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, well, go ahead, uh, Heather, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I just, you know, first of all, I think, you know, Scott Walker, in my view, is the most overrated politician in America. I do not understand why he's a front-runner, and I really will be surprised if he remains one. And I don't think last night did anything to um, change my opinion on that. Uh, he is doing a lot of things on day one. This is just one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the you know, a busy day. A busy very, day, very yeah. busy day. He's going to be, you know, doing a lot of things. Here's the thing. There's a little phrase that he uses, and they all use, including, you know, Tom Cotton and the rest of these anti-Iran deal people, these, these warmongers. I will convince our allies. You know, and then we just have to convince our allies to do the same. Well, you know, uh, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Because the allies, they're all on board with the deal. I mean, this is one of the things that is most important to recognize about the Iran agreement. They managed to get everybody, everybody on on board with it. The Russians, the Chinese, all of Europe, everybody who hates each other is together on this one. And part of the reason is, is that, well, number one, the leadership of these countries is sane and do not, you know, think that it's a good idea to start World War III. 
unlike some of the leaders of our Republican Party. And the other reason is is that these you know they 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 are going to lift these sanctions, and there's not a damn thing we can do about it. So the idea that Scott Walker is going to come in on day one, you know, renege on the deal, you know, reinstate the sanctions, and then quote convince our allies to do the same. Well, yeah, I'm afraid that's not going to happen. So it's a completely moot point. It's fatuous in in the extreme, and the idea that they think they can do this is really. You know, it's a stunning bit of hubris on the part of these Republican, um, these Republican candidates and all the Republican politicians who think that just by sheer force of personality, I mean, they bought into this Reagan myth, apparently, and I guess Cheney and George W. Bush, too, that they can do anything just by sheer force of will. And the truth is, is that the only thing they can do is start a war. That is all they have the capability of actually doing on day one. And frighteningly, uh, you know, it sounds to me like they're intent upon doing it if they get the chance. And that is, you know, you remember back in the Iraq war days when all those guys used to say, you know, well, going to Baghdad's one thing, real men go to Tehran. Well, it sounds like that's real, that's still operative in Republican circles. And that should be very, very scary to people. I mean, this... That debate, they they talked about Iran just a little, the baby debate. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you listen to Lindsey Graham, uh, honestly, it was like War of the Worlds. It's not just the Iranians. I mean, these are Iranians are actually aliens from another planet, and they're coming down, and there's nothing we can do about it. Run for your life. Well, he said, said, if I'm president, we're going to send soldiers back to Iraq and into Syria. And I just uh, sat here watching this, saying, oh, "Is that a winning strategy these days?" <laughs> even even in the Republican Party, uh, Paul Rosenberg, are ha- have they been uh, so flummoxed at this point over on Fox News that now they're in favor once again of sending soldiers back to Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and everywhere else? I don't know if they're in favor of it, but they're willing to float it as an idea and you know see how. You know, yeah, it works. Oh, they were cheering. I mean, they, that's what they seem like they well, want. I, I, I mean, I mean, well, I, I took that to mean Fox News with people, you know, sales, mm-hmm. et cetera. But yeah, I mean, I think they were, they're certainly willing to audience test it, and I think the audience is, you know, is definitely good, you know, trending heavily in that direction. They are still in denial, though. Though I think they still feel that just standing up like that will be enough to make uh, you know, the enemy just sort of crumble into dust. Is, uh, we've got just a minute here left, so I want to get a, a thought from each of you before we go. Um, does any of this, a year and a half out from the general election, more than six months from the first vote being cast, uh, does any of this matter in any way, shape, or form, and uh, will, will it move the... Will it move the needle one way or another uh, in this particular uh, almost substantive, substance-free debate on the Republican side? Paul Rosenberg, you first on that. I think it's likely that maybe something matters, but it's going to take a long time for us to be able to figure out what it was. <laughs> well done. Uh, Heather, any thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that it matters far some, you know, major event, you know, an economic cataclysm or some kind of a national security crisis. I, I think it matters because what we're seeing is, you know, the, the contours and the outlines of the uh, Republican argument. And, and, and it's very similar. I mean, there was very little disagreement among them. I think it's pretty clear that they are going to be running as, you know, warmongering, tax-cutting, slash-and-burn 
uh, politicians who are going to roll back everything that's happened in the last eight years. That's basically what they're saying. They're going to all do it all in the first day, so that's good. You know. Well, <laughs> yeah, they're all going to do it. The question is, which one of them, I guess, and uh, frankly... Does it matter? It doesn't matter. No, I don't know that it does. Well, unless it's Donald Trump, and I think... Uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be Donald Trump for a while, and I think he, he may very well make a, a run, for, a real run for the nomination. And then while we're laughing at Republicans, we're going to have to start looking at Democrats and saying, hey, are Democrats going to buy into what Donald Trump is selling? Because he is kind of fun. And sometimes you look at him and you say, mm, yeah, I agree with that. Even the crazy stuff. And I think that may uh, come to affect uh, general election uh, voters as well if he actually wins the nomination. I I think that's possible. Anyway, uh, Paul Rosenberg, uh, great talking uh, with you for the first time. Paul Rosenberg from Thank you. Random Lengths News and Salon. And uh, you can find him on the Twitters at Paul H. Rosenberg. And, of course, our old friend Heather Digby Parton. Find her over at digbysblog.blogspot.com and at Salon. And, of course, on the Twitters at Digby56. Thanks to both of you. Great talking to you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you. All right, Thank we're you gonna, very much. You bet. We're going to take a quick break and come back with the Green News Report and maybe some uh, the one comment that they made at the Republican uh, debate that had to do with the environment, if we have time. We'll find out. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Melting for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Yeah. Welcome yep. back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, we'll have to wait till next time. To uh, there, there was really only one, I think pretty much one comment uh, about environmental issues. Yeah, in mostly. The big GOP and, debate. and it was really just Lindsey Graham who talked about uh, about uh, energy issues in any, in any depth. There were references to Jeb Bush and, and Walker, but we'll we will do that, that next time if we can. Uh, and there was some other stuff we didn't get to uh, with uh, Paul Rosenberg and uh, Digby. My thanks to them. We'll try to uh, pick up some of these items next time. But before we go, it is time for since we put it off this week with everything else that was going on, our latest. Green News Report. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, advising governors to not obey this ruling. Polluters and their allies line up to attack Obama's new landmark emissions rule. Majority of Americans support cutting emissions and fighting global warming. The U.S. is finally getting an offshore wind farm. Plus... Hello, I'm Jim Gilmore. Republicans get a new 2016 contender. Guess his position on climate change. Go ahead. Guess. I can't. I don't even know who he is. All of those guesses and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It's typical of the Obama administration taking executive power he doesn't have. Uh, 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 really? Jeb Bush? The Obama administration is taking executive power it doesn't have? Really? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, a week or two ago, we thought this was the end. We thought you had (laughs) finally your yeoman's work in uh, giving us the climate change position for all of these people was done. But no, it turns out... 
there's still at least one more guy. That's right. We're not done yet. There are now 17. The race for the 2016 Republican presidential nomination just got its 17th candidate. Jim Gilmore, former governor of Virginia, quietly announced that he's running for president in a video last week. He was so quiet that no one noticed until this week. And today I'm announcing my candidacy for the Republican nomination for president of the United States. With so many candidates already in the race, Some may ask, why am I running? That's a fair question and deserves a straight answer. Yes, why? Why are you running, Jim Gilmore? I still haven't found a good answer for that yet, but I will tell you, we have been tracking the climate change positions of all of the official 2016 presidential candidates, and Jim Gilmore falls squarely in the middle of the rest of the Republican candidates. He says he accepts that the climate is changing, but he isn't sure how much humans are responsible for it, meaning Gilmore thinks we should take no action. So he's not a complete denier like Ted Cruz, who says it's actually getting cooler. Right. But he also doesn't think man is responsible and therefore doesn't think man should actually do anything about it. Well, because if you're responsible, then you're responsible to do something. So it prevents that from happening. Nice work if you can avoid it. Earlier this week, President Obama issued landmark new standards to cut carbon emissions from power plants by more than 30 percent by 2030 to fight global warming. The reaction from polluting industries and their friends in Congress has been swift. Literally minutes after the president spoke, a coalition of Republican state attorneys general, mostly from coal states, announced that they will sue to stop the new standards all the way to the Supreme Court. Of course they will. And ordered by the Supreme Court, which already looked at this and said, yes, the EPA has to take action on carbon emissions. Now, even though the new rules are projected to save lives and save Americans money on electricity, the slate of 2016 Republican presidential candidates also condemned the new standards. Former Florida Governor Jeb Bush speaking at a private conference hosted by the billionaire Koch brothers over the weekend, had this to say. I think it's a disaster. Uh, It's taking, it's typical of the Obama administration, taking executive power he doesn't have. And I believe it's unconstitutional. And I think in relatively short period of time, the courts will will determine that as well. Actually, Jeb, why don't you talk to your brother about it? Because he knows that the courts require them to do this. That's why the George W. Bush administration did not open the endangerment finding from the EPA when your brother was the president. And by the way, doing more executive actions than Obama has ever dreamt up. But go ahead, Des. Despite the attacks, a new PPP poll finds that a majority of voters in the all-important swing states are in favor of Obama's new rule to curb emissions. Sizable majorities in major swing states like Colorado, Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Virginia believe that climate change is a serious problem and they support Obama's action to cut emissions. The Clean Power Plan prioritizes renewable energy sources over natural gas, and that's a good thing because a bombshell new study suggests that emissions of methane that escape from natural gas drilling operations may have been vastly underestimated. Methane is a potent greenhouse gas, and this study found a potentially devastating flaw in the devices used to measure methane leaks. If that flaw is confirmed, the New York Times reports, it could have major implications for the natural gas supply chain and for scientists' estimates of the rate of climate change. 
Finally, some good news. America's first offshore wind farm has finally begun construction off the Atlantic coast. Although many European countries have been using offshore wind farms for over a decade, this is the first one for the U.S. It is not the famous Cape Wind project that's been opposed by wealthy individuals on Martha's Vineyard from the Koch brothers to the late Senator Ted Kennedy. This one is off the coast of Rhode Island and is slated to begin generating clean electricity within five years. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yes, and with that, we too are gone with the wind. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest today, Paul Rosenberg of Random Lengths News, and Heather Digby-Parton of Digby's Hullabaloo and Salon. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download our shows at bradblog.com. And or you can subscribe for free over at the iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review. It does make it a little bit easier for other people to find the Bradcast as well. You can also drop me mail anytime. Email bradcast at bradblog.com. Or find me on the Twitters and the uh, Facebook at the Brad Blog. I think that's it. All right. Uh, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I can't stand this in-